District of Conservation is sponsored by CFACT. To learn more about our sponsor, head over to CFACT.org. Thank you so much for listening to the show. I am joined by Zach Bukarevich of Whetstone Habitat. And we connected at POMA this year, back in June. And he runs a really unique business. He's also someone new to outdoor communications and has been published in different spots. He's also on the East Coast, kind of deals a lot with private land conservation efforts. He also goes hunting and fishing himself. So I figured we'd bring him on the podcast. We had talked about it months ago, but I'm, I'm glad he's back from Alaska now to, to share his experience. So Zach, thanks so much for coming to the podcast. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I've been looking forward to this since we met at Poma a couple months ago. And you just came back from Alaska and you've been doing a lot of stuff this summer. How's everything been for you? Oh, it's been great. I, uh, I think I only, all of August, I was only at my, uh, my place for about four nights total. So I've been traveling a lot for work, been all different parts of the country. Um, and then the Alaska trip was kind of a nice way to cap off my, my busy August. And it was incredible. Went on a fishing trip with my dad. We were in the Bristol Bay area. And it was, it was the once in a lifetime type trip. I, I hope to make it back out there, but it was, it was truly incredible. Your pictures looked to be the case. And like we were talking before recording, I have some friends that have moved there. I have a friend that's actually on her way to Alaska to collaborate, I think, with the Tourism Bureau. So I told her I would hate her for all the pictures that she's going to take <laughs> and the experiences she's going to have. I don't think she gets to fish or hunt, but she gets to see like the Northern Lights. So I was expressing to her my jealousy over her going to Alaska, but no, everyone says it's a dream, especially in the summertime. Oh yeah. I, I stockpiled a bunch of photos while I was out there. <laughs> that was one of the things I did learn at POMO is just trying to be consistent on social media. So I got a nice little uh, archive uh, of some great pictures I took out there. The wildlife was, was just everywhere. And it was, it was a lot of critters I've never seen before. So it was, it was a blast. Did you see any bears? I don't recall if you did. Possibly? I did. They were, yeah, there was, there was one day in particular, I was on the uh, <clears throat> upper Moraine Creek, which is a pretty famous trout fishery. And uh, I must have seen a hundred bears if you count what I saw from the plane. Uh, we fished like a 100 yard stretch of that river. We didn't really move much all day. And I counted 48 bears just <laughs> right where, right where we were lot. fishing. So yeah, it was, it was one of those things where like, you can't really prepare for being that close to them. And we did our best. We did everything we could to kind of stay out of their way. They weren't really interested in, in bothering us. It was kind of like they were looking right through you. They were, they were kind of drunk on salmon at the time. So <laughs> as long as you get out of their way and kind of leave them be, we tried to leave uh, a pretty good buffer between us, but it was, it was fun watching them chase salmon around, um, watch them wrestling on the hillside. There was a bunch of little ones, uh, the sow, the cubs and the uh, sows were everywhere. And uh, yeah, it was, it was really cool. I saw tons of bear. Did you see any caribou or other ungulates like that? I know those are fairly common up there. No, so I didn't see any caribou, but I saw a couple of moose from the airplane. Um, the area I was at around King Salmon used to have a caribou herd, um, but the guide I was talking to said there was a collapse in the herd somewhat recently, um, got overpopulated, and I don't know if it was disease or what, um, but they lost their caribou herd there. So didn't see any of them, but... Um, yeah, I saw a couple of moose that was about it for ungulates for me. That's really cool. And why don't you tell my listeners how exactly you got involved in conservation? Because you do have a background in wildlife management and I believe wildlife biology too, but explain exactly how you got roped into this, what your formal degree is and what you've largely focused on and what led you to start your business. Right. So, um, 
from a young age, I, I grew up in Arizona outside of Phoenix and, and my dad kind of really, even though we were in um, Phoenix metro area, he always made it a point every year he'd take us either in skiing trips or we'd go on fly fish. I was kicking around in a float tube and fly fishing at the age of like five. Um, so I always had a fishing rod in my hand and my dad was really adamant. He grew up in the Southwest, so he had access to those public lands growing up. So he kind of instilled the, the value of being outdoors. We had a camper growing up. Um, so I always kind of thought I wanted to do something outside. Um, when I got to college, I, I pursued a degree and got a degree in wildlife and fisheries management um, to kind of follow through with, with that passion. It was one of those things where um, I just, I'm the only one in my family to kind of go that route. My entire family is pharmacists, um, which is what I thought I was going to be when I, when I got to school, but it didn't take me long before I, I picked up a minor in wildlife and fisheries and uh, quickly thereafter switched majors to wildlife and fisheries. And, and that's what I uh, stuck with. Um, in the past, uh, I worked for like West Virginia DNR, worked for that state agency for a little while, worked for the Forest Service for a little while um, as a biologist. And uh, I kind of bounced around the country working some seasonal jobs. I worked in the private industry. Um, my first job out of college, I was working on a on a ranch in Texas Hill Country in Bandera. I was kind of telling you about the cowboy capital, so they claim Bandera, Texas, the town I work in, a unguided ranch here. So, uh, very familiar with with the outdoor industry, but the whole media aspect of, of running my own business is something that's all kind of new to me. <laughs> But yeah, um, I've always been hunting and fishing my whole life and just kind of wanted to stick on that career path and figure out a way I can make a living outside. Has it been feasible to make a living in the outdoor industry so far, you think? It's been tough. Um, they don't really prepare you for it in school. That was one thing that Certainly. I, I saw. Uh, yeah, I saw one of my professors at the... Uh, uh, the Wildlife Society's annual meeting was in Cleveland a couple of years ago, and I attended that and saw one of my former professors. And uh, I was I was adamant with him. I was like, you guys need to be a little bit more transparent when you're telling people they should probably get a master's or like be open about how many seasonal jobs you're going to have to work in order to get your foot in the door. And um, it, yeah, I've definitely, it hasn't been all I've done since I've graduated. I've, I've worked a ton of different jobs, but it's always been something I was engaged with and pursuing. Um, and I had plenty of good opportunities. And it re really wasn't until I graduated in 2015. And it wasn't until probably 2019, when I started getting consistent offers for full time jobs um, in the industry. So it is tough to get your foot in the door. But it's, nobody gets into wildlife to get rich. You know, we all kind of get into the industry because we're passionate about it. And um, because we're happy to do it. Um, so I kind of fall into that category. And it's, it's getting easier. It's getting better. Um, and it's, it's definitely something I'm, I feel very fortunate to still be in the industry. I, I look at some of my classmates and cohort I graduated with, and I'm one of the only ones still working in wildlife. Interesting. Yeah. It's, um, something you kind of fall into by accident. I think that was the case for me since I grew up also similarly with the outdoors, but I did not have the formal training you did. I don't think my school was a land grant school, despite being a state school, and they didn't offer that. So I kind of regret not studying something a little more useful than poli-sci, but you can always learn as you go and take input from scientists and incorporate it into your writing reporting work. So I can do that to help elevate science <laughs> with respect to that. But um, no, it it is something a lot of people always ask me, well, how do you get into the outdoor industry? Is there a particular step you need to take? And you kind of have to forge your own. And I think 
your business has been really intriguing to learn about because you do a lot of land management. It's very different from, I think, what most people do. Most people are social media influencers. They're journalists, they're writers, they're commentators, YouTubers. And you actually run like a legit kind of operation to help people upkeep, manage, and, and maintain their land. So talk about your business and why is it so unique and how you can offer that perspective, given your background uh, into outdoor media, especially. Yeah, so one thing I, I learned from from early on working, um, I did an internship with West Virginia DNR, and I, I quickly because I wasn't quite sure. I knew I wanted to work in wildlife. Um, I always kind of assumed like game warden or conservation officer was kind of like the dream job for people working in wildlife. But the longer I was in school, the more I realized there's tons of opportunities out there. If you're into birds, there's ornithologists everywhere. A lot of plant people, delineations are so important right now. So there are a lot of avenues you can take with that degree. But during my internship with the West Virginia DNR, um, it was really habitat based. I was working on a wildlife management area. The guy I was working under was incredible. Travis Bowman, he worked for NWPF for a little while, um, worked for West Virginia for a long time. And uh, he kind of opened my eyes on what you can do as a land manager. And the thing that struck me was I was, I was working with them during my internship. I was there for like three months and there were some projects uh, like some timber stand improvements we were working on early in, in the summer when I got out there. And by the time we left, we'd go back to these locations and just how quickly mother nature responds to a controlled disturbance was incredible to me. Um, you'd see the forest regenerating already. Some of the, the stumps from the trees we'd cut were sprouting back and the deer were browsing on them. The plant communities were completely different. And I was just blown away at how quickly we can take something that looked marginal for wildlife habitat and turn it into something really beneficial for them. So I knew uh, right off the bat that that's what I wanted to do was something with habitat. So I did some of that work, like with the forest service, we did a bunch of habitat stuff. Um, and I would, I would kind of pick and choose the, the jobs I was taking throughout my career to kind of fill that void. Like when I was working in Texas, a lot of what I did was trying to control the, the cedars and the junipers out there to make room for, for the oaks that were getting kind of choked out in the areas and, and trying to bring back some of that Texas prairie habitat that, that we were missing for so long in that region. Um, so I kind of fell in love with the habitat aspect. And, and you're right, I am different than a lot of people that are, that are in this world, uh, because I am trying to run this business and, and it's something, like I said, I'm a, I'm a biologist. So the business side of it uh, is almost as overwhelming as the social media side sometimes, but um, it's, it's definitely something where I, I, I work with landowners to try to promote the best practices to get them to meet their management goals. And it's different everywhere we go. Most of my uh, clients are, they're almost all deer hunters. And that's something that's kind of unique to the white tailed deer is, its home range is small enough that you can typically manage for it on a couple hundred acre track of land. Um, so I have the benefit working in the Midwest and working in the mid Atlantic and the East coast dealing with whitetail. You can do a pretty good job of giving them everything they need um, at a high quality on a pretty small amount of land, um, which is satisfactory to the landowners meeting those management goals. So I'm, I'm, I'm running this business and I'm, I get to work hand in hand with people that are super passionate about the outdoors, super passionate about conservation. And it, it's super rewarding getting to see the light bulb turn on for them. When I'm trying to promote something like a native prairie restoration, when all they see on TV through those social media outlets is food plots. <laughs> what do I need to put in the ground that's going to get me big, huge, giant deer? And 
when I talk them into converting an old, an old food plot into native prairie and all of a sudden their wives get excited about all the butterflies showing up and the wildflowers and they're starting to notice different songbirds they didn't have before, or maybe some bobwhite quails start whistling uh, in the brush that they didn't have before. It's just really rewarding to, to help landowners kind of unlock their land's potential and kind of see what they've been missing. What are some typical services you offer through your business? So with COVID, I, I ended up doing quite a few virtual consultations. Um, that isn't my normal, but it is something I offer. We'll, I'll hop on a, a Zoom call much like this, um, and I'll screen share with, with the landowner. We'll kind of walk through virtually every, every part of their property, kind of figure out what have they been doing in the past? Where are they having headaches? What might be the issues that I can try to help mitigate and spitball some, some fresh ideas for them? Uh, my typical client is, is an on-site consultation where uh, I'll show up at the client's place, depending on how big the property is. Um, we'll spend one day, two days. I've been on one property. I was there for three full days, uh, walking around and figuring out what, what the best plan is uh, for their, their management. And then um, after I walk every square inch of that property and, and make sure they're squared away on, on where we're at. And what I'm doing is I'm, invent I'm taking inventory of, of what they have they're based on... Um, what the habitat's looking like, um, what their deer herd's looking like, what are they seeing when they're in the stand. So I'll, I'll do that inventory. I'll walk the property with them. And then I'll go home and I'll write up a, a really thorough management plan for them. I want this to be an asset for the landowner moving forward. You, you never know. I, I always tell them, you never know. Health concern might happen. You might have to sell this property you love. Um, all of a sudden you have a document that outlines what you're doing with the property, how you're improving it, and how to continue improving it throughout the future. So you now have a tangible asset for the property moving forward. And it's really a roadmap to get you to the ideal wildlife habitat on your place. So I, I'll send that out to them after I finish writing it up after I get home. Um, and I try to be as thorough as possible. I want it to be pretty dummy proof where you can hand it off to the next landowner and they can pick up right where you left off, um, carrying out that management plan. Would you say social media has been a good driver of potential leads for you? Do you, do you see it helping you in any way? I noticed when you use Instagram reels, you get pretty good traction on it and you get a lot of people interested in kind of your services and content, but have you seen social media be like a lead generator for you? I know for other outdoor communicators like me, it can be a good lead generator, get people interested in, in what I'm up to, but have you seen that same for you? Yeah, I've picked up quite a few clients through social media. And like with Instagram Reels, it's it's pretty funny because you never know what's going to take off. Like some, it, there was a stupid video I put of like me, there was, I was mowing a clover field and I found a bunny and I, I <laughs> picked the baby bunny up and moved it off the field. And like that took off. Or like my dog got sprayed by a skunk. Like people loved that. Me giving him a bath after he got skunked. Um, and then there's other ones where I'm, I'm talking about like how to mitigate invasive species. This is how I treat this species. So it's kind of hit or miss what takes off and what doesn't. And I do get good traction. One of the things I've been getting a great response with is posing questions to social media. Um, and Instagram has been the one that I've been hitting hard. So it is generating leads. Um, and I'm still figuring it out. It's one of those things where like, I was, I was the type of person where I hated social media and I, I, it's still not one of my favorite things to do. It's almost like pulling teeth for me every time I go to post, but the more I do it, the, the easier it gets. And, and the more authentic I, I feel like I can be on there. 
Um, it was one of those things where I was dreading it at first when, when I got the poem and they're like, you should be posting six times a week. I was like, Gosh, I, I've been posting like once a week if I'm lucky in the past. And I just kind of got into a groove with it where, where I'm posting as, as much as possible, where I'm not trying to be overwhelming. I'm trying to be educational with my posts. Um, that's one of the things where at first I was very like, I, I had the mindset where everything I posted had to be like strictly habitat management, like and I, I sort of veered off of that path where I'm just trying to keep people engaged with what I'm up to and what I'm doing because chances 80% of the time I'm working on something that has to do with my, my business, whether, whether it would just be enjoying the outdoors or working with landowners or hunting myself or going on a fishing trip like Alaska. Um, I've, I've gotten really good response just being more authentic on there and just kind of letting people into what it's like with what I do. Sometimes I think something that I was reminded recently, especially if you're self-employed or you have an LLC and there's some overlap in that area, you have to kind of have your business brand be your personal brand. So you have to not overwhelm people with business, but also simultaneously not overwhelm people with your personal stuff. And it can be a struggle. I struggle with that sometimes because I'm like, oh, if I just outright post business, people are not going to engage. I hate to to feel like that inadequate like that, but it's like, I'm not going to post something that people are not going to engage with or find interesting just because that's just how you can kind of read into their psychology with how they perceive things. So you have to kind of teeter with like, okay, what is going to be amenable to people, but also interesting or fascinating and not posting about yourself too much. Like I sometimes have that issue. Cause I'm like, Oh, if I don't include myself, are people going to unclick? Cause I think studies show that people are more likely to click with a person in the picture that owns the account or something of that nature. So it sometimes is a struggle. I know with a balancing personal and your business and you kind of have to be professional, but also kind of relatable at the same time where you're not so rigid, but also you're not too unserious, I guess. But I, th I think people are receiving your social media account. Well, I know a lot of our fellow POMA members like your stuff. And also someone I've noticed who's also um, used, let's say Instagram reels pretty well is Kang Yang. He has been really great with that too. Um, and he kind of was shy about that too. I think he said, and then it's just kind of exploded for him and he loves it. And he, similarly, like you, he rescued a, a duckling and uh, helped try to reunite it. <laughs> I thought that was so precious. And I think I saw your bunny video and that was cute too. But um, no, the the everyone loves adorable, fluffy animals. And when you post about that, that tends to do well as well. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things I have noticed um, is I've been getting pretty good quality people following me with regards to, um, like, there was a point in time where I, it was pollinator week. So I was posting a different picture of a different pollinator species that, that I happened to see while I was out working or with the client and put a quick little description of them. So seven different pollinators I highlighted. And I noticed I started picking up a bunch of people from California. I don't know if they're gardeners or what, just people interested in, in the pictures of the flowers and what I had to say about the habitat, um, what that plant does in the, in the community. Um, and then after pollinator week, I posted something, I don't know, it was like me shooting an archery target or put a picture of a deer or something. And I, I realized I lost a bunch of those followers I picked up during pollinator week because they were interested in the conservation work I was doing. But as soon as they saw that I was a hunter and an outdoorsman, I lost all credibility in their eyes. So it's kind of this funny thing where like, yeah, it's great to pick up some, some different types of, of followers on social media, but at the same time, like I try to be transparent, like, uh, look, I'm doing all this great habitat work. Um, and a deer that I may or may not harvest isn't the only beneficiary of it. And it's kind of funny seeing that, uh, 
sort of engagement with those people on, on social media when, when they realize I do care about the environment. I'm very passionate about uh, sound conservation practices, but at the same time, I do enjoy hunting, which is part of conservation. <laughs> so it's kind of it's kind of funny seeing the reaction on, on some people that can't quite juggle those two concepts and at the same time. Yeah, that's an unfortunate thing. I've seen that with people who may like some content I pose relating to freelancing. Then if I post about hunting or fishing, they sometimes drop off. So social media is a balancing game about getting quality people who engage with you and not just post spam type comments or send you inappropriate messages because that's sometimes what happens when you're using popular hashtags. I've seen that on my end where I get unwanted messages or comments that are very, I would say, spam worthy or inappropriate sometimes. Um, so yeah, it's, it sometimes is a balancing act about using the right hashtags, posting the right content at the right time. Um, so unfortunately that does happen or people really don't have an open mind about this content and some may stick around, some may go, but I, I think most people tend to, to stay if they find your content interesting, if they see you're a legitimate person, you have some authority and then they start to learn more. Um, but I've heard from friends in all different sectors who've complained to me, that it's hard for followers to stick nowadays. A lot of people follow and follow. They're not really serious. And if they're not getting something from you, like a dopamine high with content, they kind of just go away. I don't know um, with that, but that's kind of just reading into people's behavior on social media. But for outdoor content, you would think people would like it and be open-minded. But if it's anything, unfortunately, perceived as controversial as hunting, uh, they kind of just disappear. Or maybe some may stick around. I don't know. Has that been your experience too? Yeah. Yeah, totally. And, and at the same time, it, it goes the other way sometimes, or I might, I might post about pollinator species or, or native prairie, something I'm super passionate about where some of the deer hunters that follow me are probably thinking, oh gosh, another flower picture. But it's, it's one of those things I'm, I'm just trying to paint the whole picture. Um, conservation isn't just a food plot and a big deer. Um, there's a lot of intricacies that go into it. So I might mention something like Pittman Robertson Act or, or get into some policy on there. Um, it's a very broad topic that I, I feel like people need, especially hunters and anglers, uh, should want to be well-versed in. I just, I wrote an article uh, for National Deer Association not long ago talking about my conversations with non-hunters, um, you know, through the lens of, of online dating because <laughs> people would see that um, a wildlife biologist would be interested. And after talking for a little while, they would find out uh, inevitably it'd come up that, that I'm a hunter. And some people just couldn't comprehend that. Other people, they, they were just generally curious, which is most often the case. It's uh, a lot of people, like whether they might, they might follow my account for the, the conservation stuff. Uh, but if I do post about hunting, um, a lot of people are just generally curious about why we do it. And as long as we have our, our ducks in a line, can explain that, look, we're passionate about the outdoors. It's part of conservation. Um, there's there's alternative means for these animals to, to perish other than an error or gunshot wound, which aren't quite as pleasant. Um, there's plenty of reasons why we hunt. I love I love to share my harvest. I'm always cooking for other people. I'm, I'm giving venison sausage away and, and, and jerky away on the holidays. Like there's lots of reasons we engage with the outdoors. So I think social media is a great opportunity to kind of portray that and uh, feed it to the general public that might not otherwise be familiar with it. It is a good educational tool if you know how to use it well. 
That's so interesting. I remember you mentioned that. And I think I read the article you wrote about um, describing yourself in that manner on dating apps that can be received well or not depends on the region, I guess, that you're in cities that people really don't like that, or they're very confused about that from what I understand. Um, But did it lead to any people communicating with you beyond that, or they were interested with your background? I don't know. Like if, if, I mean, people love fishing picks, that's less controversial. Hunting is very different. Yeah, well, that was one of the things I discovered early. Like, I'm not putting a picture of me holding a dead deer. <laughs> not putting a grip and grin in my profile. Um, I've even kind of gotten away from from fishing picks. Um, I have a picture of me casting a fly rod, I think, on on, on one of them. But yeah, for the, for the most part, I, I bring up hunting. Uh, after, it's not the first thing I bring up. Um, just because, like, I, I do identify as an outdoorsman and a sportsman. Um, but above all, I'm, I'm a conservationist and just passionate about the outdoors. So if, if that conversation comes up throughout um, getting to know somebody, it's, it's something I don't shy away from. I'm never going to hide from it because um, I'm very passionate and proud to be an outdoorsman. So it's something that that comes up. And if they're not willing to to hear me out, um, they don't have to engage like they don't have to participate themselves. But I'm just as long as they understand why I do it and that I'm passionate about it. It's, it's one of those things where um, I'm proud to be an outdoorsman. Yeah. You shouldn't hide away from that, whether it's uh, dating friendships, all types of relationships. I think you have to be honest about that and you don't want to be around people who don't support your lifestyle in doing that. That's cer- certainly something I've learned myself. So it's better to have support or at least open-mindedness rather than be around people who are repelled by the, that type of activity. But I also wanted to ask you, are there any organizations or causes you're really excited about or involved in any issues that you care about from the public policy standpoint that you wish people understood better? Anything concerning you, um, any upcoming hunts planned or fishing trips planned beyond what you just did in Alaska? Yeah. So one of the organizations I've been really close with ever since I was in college was um, formerly QDMA, but now National Deer Association, NDA. Um, the guys and gals over there are fantastic. They have a really passionate following, um, of members. Uh, I've written articles from the past. I got another article coming up in their upcoming fall issue. Um, but they do some awesome work as far as education goes. And with me, the, the big, the elephant in the room for deer hunters moving forward is CWD. And I think those guys have done an awesome job of educating the public and, and letting the public know how to mitigate those risks of, of helping spread that disease, um, as well as letting them know uh, the potential risks that that they may face if they are in a CWD area. So they've been doing a great job, um, especially with, through the social media accounts. I just started a couple of new podcasts. Um, I helped start a branch here in Cincinnati, the Ohio River Valley branch. Um, so I've been really engaged with them um, throughout the past and, and look forward to continuing to work with those guys moving forward. Um, I also just joined, I've been a member of BHA for a while, but I've been kind of a passive member where I love reading the Backcountry journal. Um, but I just, uh, somebody from Ohio BHA reached out to me recently on through social media <laughs> of all places. And so I'm looking forward to getting more involved with them. Um, congressional sportsmen are another one I keep up with. Um, NWTF, their convention in in Nashville is something everybody should go to. It's it's pretty wild walking around. There's 30,000 people doing turkey diaphragm calls. <laughs> so watching a, a turkey calling competition, something not everybody can say they could they have done. But it, it's pretty awesome event that that they put on every year in Tennessee. Uh, so I'd highly recommend that. Um, those are a couple organizations that 
that I've uh, had a relationship with and look forward to continuing those with moving forward. Um, one of the things I, I do want to talk about is just some of the the cost share programs that landowners, especially my clients, have opportunities to access through through like Equip, through the NRCS. Um, a lot of the recommendations I make on my management plans are things such as invasive species mitigation, Um or native prairie restoration, they're things that the landowner can be getting some sort of compensation for um, their efforts through through the government. Um, most landowners are, are blissfully unaware of those potential opportunities. And there, there's some great work going on and, and money to be had for landowners passionate about uh, doing some habitat work. They can, they can help offset some of the costs of doing that work through those cost share programs. So... Um, if anybody's thinking about doing some of that kind of stuff on their property, I highly recommend checking out your local NRCS office and, and asking them about their equip programs. Awesome. Thanks for including that. And where can people connect with you and follow your business, maybe solicit you for some leads, get some consultations, drop where everyone can connect with you. So on Instagram is the social media platform I'm, I'm most active on. Uh, it's at Whetstone Habitat. That's Whetstone with an H, like a sharpening stone. Um, Whetstone Habitat. Uh, you can email me, Zach, at whetstonehabitat.com. Um, and I'm also working on getting a YouTube channel up and running to start doing some more video content on there and try to diversify my uh, social media presence to be... Uh, easily contacted. I want to keep people in the loop with what I'm doing, why I'm doing it and why I'm so passionate about it. Yeah. And with your Sony camera, you should be able to make some great videos. And a few other members have had great success recently on YouTube. I finally got monetized on that platform. I haven't used it in a few weeks just because I've been traveling, but it is a good portal still to kind of experiment with video. And I think for the content you do, you'll do quite well with talking about different um, aspects of land management, habitat, and all that. Um, so Zach, thanks so much for coming to District of Conservation and sharing your story. I hope people connect with you. And sh thanks for sharing your expertise. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, it was a pleasure. Anytime. Thank you for listening to the show. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Make sure you're following us on your preferred podcast player. We like to recommend Apple Podcasts because Apple is where most of our listenership hails from. So if you head over to Apple, subscribe, comb through some episodes and leave us reviews, we'd be more than appreciative of your support in that manner. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to never miss a beat nor a guest announcement. And you can connect with me personally on my social media feeds, all of the Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram links that I have are all denoted by blue check marks. Really easy to find me. So engage with me there. I'd love to hear your thoughts. If you want to recommend yourself for the show as a prospective guest, I'm all ears to hear and sift through different inquiries. Stay tuned for the next episode. Really appreciate you listening to District of Conservation.